Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 78 to Melbourne. Oh, finally. We don't often stray south of the equator, do we? We need to fix that. <laughs> yes, exactly. We are fixing we've it. Done. We're fixing it right now. <laughs> we've done South Africa, and I think we've done Brazil, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. Not very good at this, right? No, we need to. We need to fix that. <laughs> and we have a lot of listeners in Australia. So finally, finally, guys, we're getting to you. We actually had a... A tweet, I think, a month ago or two months ago, about someone says, hey, you never talk about Australia. You never actually covered an airport. So here you go. I've done it. I was in Australia. I was in Melbourne for literally three days. It says you basically fly the whole time. I was going to say, that's a long way to go for just three days. Uh, I found a super deal with uh, Etihad. I'll explain that a bit later. So the, the the flight itself is also cool. I'm not. I'm going to say that right away. I'm not going to explain all the thing about the flights because otherwise this episode will last for five hours. Because I've done also flights with SAS and BA. That will be for the next episode. Today I'll concentrate on Etihad and Melbourne. And you know what? I have proof that we have a lot of listeners. There's not only because of our stats, but because. <laughs> I've gotten so many Twitter replies and DMs and Instagram messages and et cetera. All the, you're here. This is so cool. I'm like, oh, wow. And they were like super helpful. They gave me tips what to do in Melbourne. Hadn't been there for 25 years, actually. Really, guys, I'm going to mention a few during the show. And really, I know we've been saying that for the past 20 episodes, probably. But I think we're reaching the breaking point where we have way too many mentions and people talking to us compared to our ability to track it and simply the time we have in an episode. So please forgive us once and for all if we don't mention you, if you tweet back at us, or if sometimes we don't reply, because honestly, guys, we don't have the time. No, but it's still very much appreciated. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we love it. And we'll keep trying to mention you because you've been super helpful. I also had someone when I was in Stockholm, Arlanda, which is where I started flying with that Etihad deal. I had also a Stockholm listener. I think I have his name later on in the show as well, who said, Hey, are you here? How, what do you think about the airports? That's pretty, pretty cool, That's cool. actually. That's yeah, very it is. Cool. <laughs> so, thank you. You, you're back in England. I am back in England. Yep. It's. Uh, uh, oh, this is the first time we've recorded since I got back. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I'm back. At least we- for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, because you guys all realize, but we haven't talked to each other since we last recorded and since the episode was, you know, released, I think, almost a week after. It, it's lasted, it's been three weeks or something. We, of course, we, we chat over, uh, over Messenger all the time about airplane news. But so for us, it's a reunion. Yeah. <laughs> on a, on a good time zone as well. It's Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's a much more civilized time of day. <laughs> you, you already had your, your coffee. You know, let's start this. How was your flight back? Did you have to suffer through Ether immigration? Yeah, fine. It was a BA Dreamliner out of San Jose, although we sat on the ground for a while after we'd all boarded, and that process was fine and, and very easy. And we sat there and we sat there and sat there, and the first officer came on and said, yeah, we've got a little bit of a problem with the battery. And I was like, I was the only person who sort of went, okay, <laughs> that's not good. 
That's not good at all. A, because those batteries are important. He didn't say that at the time, but he did a bit later. And also, Dreamliner and battery and problem yeah, the- are not something you want to hear in a single sentence. Yeah, wasn't that the Ethiopian flight that caught fire? Yeah, there have been a few. I mean, the there was a, I think there was an ANA one that had a problem. Not as catastrophic as that. Yeah, but of course, yeah. It took a while. Basically, they couldn't get the battery to come online so to say yes it's it's charged and it's there and ready should they need it it took about an hour and a half to fix the problem and i was listening to air traffic control and they were keeping them up to date but they said we can't fly over the atlantic without this working i actually i had messaged my in-laws who dropped us off to say there's a small chance we're going to be coming back tonight because this is not an insignificant problem but yeah they managed to fix the problem we were on our way the flight was smooth and easy and for those of you that travel with kids, I tried a new strategy <laughs> because my eldest son, who's just about to turn eight, we give him the iPad on the airplane. They're both amazing travelers, but he'll sit there and he'll play the iPad and he won't sleep, and which is a problem, obviously. So I said, all right, guys, no iPad until after you sleep. You can watch movies on the TV in front of you or whatever. And they're like, oh, they got half an hour into Jurassic Park. Fell asleep, slept the whole way. No, that's like, awesome. Yes, jackpot. <laughs> and you play with the iPad. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I get to play with the iPad. No, I got some. I got some much needed rest as well. But I was bracing myself for hours and hours of immigration queues because of all the stuff that's happened over the summer. And we'd we've talked about this that I can't use the e gates because children under I think sixteen can't use them. And the last few times we've gone through at Heathrow and Gatwick. The queues have been huge. I said to my wife, let's get snacks ready. Let's make sure that they've got something to do. We get there and there was literally nobody in the queue. Not a soul. (laughs) The the non-EU passport queue was average at best or worst, depending on how you look at it. I was pleasantly and delightedly shocked. There was, (laughs) without exaggeration... Not a single person ahead of us, and we we went straight through our bags came our bags and my bike and all that easy it was it was good. I don't know what they did or how they cleaned out the queue or if we were just lucky with our with our arrival time, but there we are lucky you, yeah, we suffer through that every summer, of course, there's a border patrol border control, whatever the name is, border force um shortage probably, but yeah, because maybe you were at the tail end of what are the holidays here in the UK, there was just less people maybe and the issue resolved itself and it will happen again on the next holiday or something. I I, I think very possibly. And I think we had to wait until pretty much everybody was off the plane because they bring the buggy up to the top of the stairs Mm -hmm. on the jet bridge. So we had to wait for pretty much everybody to get off the airplane. I can't imagine that that in theory, we should make it worse because everybody's ahead of us in the queue. But it just didn't seem to be that that case oh, so. well well then good good well they just knew that alex was coming back yeah they, had they to. cleared the decks as they <laughs> should <laughs> because you know they're all listening to this podcast and once we criticize something they had to fix it for us uh by the way you listen to alex later because of course we mentioned about you know startups doing you know flights that makes no sense uh that are for only for rich people and alex got invited to do one no no not exactly i'm kidding but <laughs> <laughs> he would love to tell us. I don't know anything. He hasn't told me a lot about it. He, he flew something. Well, we'll talk a bit later in the episode. Uh, and I'm jealous, to be frankly honest with you. I'm jealous. It, it was. A, I'm looking forward to telling the story because it was a, a neat little thing. 
one piece of news that is not, it's not news, but it's not fun. I'll start with that because I think we need to acknowledge this date of September 2, 1998. I remember my father woke me up. Uh, it was an early morning and I was still living in Geneva and I was working at a startup and my father says, well, there's a crash. And the first thought I had in my mind was like, oh shit, the market crashed and you know, my startup will be <laughs> gone and over. Yeah. Well, that was not to happen uh, before three years, but that was just the Swissair 111 that uh, had crashed. It's one of the biggest disasters in history. It is also a specific type of crash because it's one of the rare occurrences where the plane was still basically at full speed when it uh, crashed over the water near Nova Scotia in Canada. Uh, there was, I think, 230, 229 people passed away. So that's 20 years ago. This flight was very well known, especially if you uh, live in either New York or Geneva, because it was the UN shuttle, United mm -hmm. Nations. They both have headquarters and the, the flight actually had, you know, Picassos and UN scientists and very famous uh, people in there. Uh, there was even a, before Federer, we had another tennis player in Switzerland that uh, had just lost the US Open and actually decided not to take that flight. And for a while, he didn't fly anymore because obviously... Yeah, that kind of thing uh, will screw you up. Yeah. And, and, and the industry learned a lot. It was an arc. It was a wiring of the IFE that actually created a fire uh, above the, the flight deck. And I'm sorry to go in gruesome details to the point that we think it's never been fully established because people literally uh, exploded in a million pieces where they hit. So we were never able to recover uh, bodies, uh, only like pieces. But uh, that probably even the two pilots actually caught fire. So that that's the extent of that uh, that crash. It's really not fun to talk about. And the one thing I'm going to encourage people to do, because it's probably one of my favorite ever piece of writing, is uh, to read... The Long Fall of 111 Heavy, which is a piece that was written for Esquire in uh, 2000. It's available online since for 10 years or something. And it's uh, it's one of, for me, the best pieces about aviation in that grief part of aviation. It's more than grief. It's actually what is the experience of loss, of disintegration of families, of uh, what is memory, how do we cope? Uh, it's it's more uh, poetry than prose, yeah. I would say, because even some people say that a few of the facts in there are not completely accurate, but that's not the point. You you experience what it means to have a crash and what it means for the families, for the medical examiners, for the, the people that were involved in all that happened just right after. And it's really... Uh, not even about aviation strategy, but it's really one of the best pieces ever for me about strategy. It's, it's, it's of course moving. It's, but for me, it's brutal, essential. It's a magistral piece of the long fall of one 11 heavy. It's, it's, it's a tough piece, guys, right? So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it takes Anything you about minutes. that is going to be yeah, not very easy uh, to read. How do you tell grieving family members? The average body is now in 100 pieces, 100 little stars. Uh, it's, it's literally tough, but it's, I think, if you like aviation, and I know this is a dark side that, thank God, doesn't happen almost not anymore. I think you, you ought to you ought to read it. There's actually one piece that was uh, one um, trivia almost that is uh, quite fascinating. There was one person, one dad that had lost his his daughter in in the flight. Actually, 
went there and felt at peace being in Nova Scotia next to the uh, next to the, the the crash site and bought a very you know that that place that village is maybe sixty people but bought a restaurant there mm-hmm. uh, to be close uh, to the waves where he, he felt the presence of his daughter and bought a restaurant he, he, he sold it after he, he stayed for ten years but still you know that that that's the kind of experience of grief of, of loss that is it's it's really something guys that I I I, uh, I encourage you to to read it paints ghosts and it's 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 a very powerful piece and i sorry to be a bit of downer here but i think you have guys to to read it no you're right i think it's a it's it's a wonderful piece and as you say we learned so much from that tragedy and i think that's if you can take any positivity or silver lining from events like that is that's one thing the aviation industry at large is very good at is 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 understanding and and learning from these tragedies and how airplanes are wired now be it for IFE or you know in any other way was completely changed after that uh, across the board and you know but it is a you know I agree it's a stunning piece and if any one of you has ever experienced any type of grief and you know that grief can be very schizophrenic and that's actually the term the, the author uses is it's actually very powerful do you remember the last time you felt the wind touched your lips to the head of your child. Can you remember the words she said as she last went, ticket in hand? Very powerful, guys. Yeah. Uh, so moving from that to a completely non-powerful thing, vanilla ice. <laughs> ice, ice, baby. This was just <laughs> extraordinary. So what happened exactly? So he, he was in a December at flights. We're recording today, uh, Thursday, the 6th of September. So that was yesterday. He was in that Emirates flights from Dubai to New York, GFK, and that flight lands and he's quarantined because apparently there's, depending on who you believe, 10 to 100 people that fell violently sick during the flight. Yeah, I heard about this as I seem to about most things aviation these days from from Jason Rabinowitz at, at Airline Flyer. And I think he was just retweeting things that, that were coming across his newsfeed. He, uh, I think that what the story that he retweeted was uh, quoting this 100 number that an Emirates plane had been quarantined, hundreds of people sick. And my first reaction was just, I think, the same as everybody else's was food poisoning. Yeah. (laughs) You know, this scale sounds about right. 100 people in economy eating one of maybe three options that were available all ate something. They didn't have the lasagna. They didn't have the (laughs) lasagna. Yeah, exactly. Some of the the memes and quotes that were going around were great. But the facts eventually materialized. And it was more like 10 people who had fevers and coughs. So not necessarily food related. Yeah, because coughs usually when you have food poisoning, and I hope that you guys never had like a violent one, but you get, you know, a lot of symptoms. But coughs is not the one usually linked to it. The full picture is not there because it just happened yesterday. The strong rumors are that there were people that were already sick from a type of influenza, so flu, that boarded and, you know, you're like, whatever, it's like 15 hours in the same flight and maybe the virus was active. And I I mean, we'll know, obviously. At the end of the day, I think they only sent 10 people to the hospital. Eight were treated directly at the airport and everybody else was let go. It doesn't mean that of that everybody else... They're all good, maybe some are like very tame symptoms, but it doesn't seem to be like, you know, this the hysteria that people like, oh, the entire flight is about to die and there are zombies in the Emirates flights or something. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of, people were saying like the the footage 
from one of the local news stations was was like what you see in the playing in the background of some zombie movie at the beginning. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, and I think the CDC was there and everybody on the planet to fill out a form with basic information about their health. And they were taking the temperatures of people, as you say, as they, as they left the airplane. And wasn't there some, again, so much of this is is third-hand account, but wasn't there something where the airline and whoever else was in charge, maybe the port authority said, yes, you can deplane, but then the CDC delayed them in immigration, or maybe the immigration services said, uh, actually, maybe not. Yeah, I think, the, they, they, so they forced people to deplane with the stairs, they put them in buses, and when the bus arrived in front of the terminal, they had to stay in the buses because then there was like a big of a ruckus, should we actually allow them in? Of course, there was terrorist concerns, but also like they wanted to make sure everything was fine. I think, you know what? I think for once, they must have regretted not having these machines that if any one of you guys flies in Asia, we have at every airport where they detect your temperature yeah. automatically, which... Both Alex and I are always like a bit, um, we know we're not sick, but when you see these machines, you're like, oh, am I sick? Man, my throat is not clear. I'm sure actually I have some kind of fever. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> you're di- yeah, exactly. You just panic. Yeah. So, I mean, an airplane is a confined environment for so many hours. It could be many things. And even if it's food, I don't think, you know, I'm sorry to put it that way, but shit happens. I mean, nobody died. I'm not saying here to say, to completely say that the Emirates is not at fault. Maybe they're not, by the way, but just to say that sadly, once in a you know a hundred thousand time, there might be an issue, and it will happen. I mean, all airlines do their their best to cover every type of angle about health and safety in planes. Maybe some people say, "Oh, should the airline not have been allowed to embark those supposedly ill passengers that were coming, I think, from Saudi Arabia?" Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe if they had those machines detecting the temperature, maybe they wouldn't have. But I mean, it's it's a case that is so rare that I'm not sure we're going to have to re- revamp all the regulations about airlines. <laughs> no, I, I think it was just one of those things that was uh, yeah, exactly. perhaps, in a way, it was probably a good test of the processes in place yep. to deal with something like this oh, yeah. that, that did have 100 people ill. But yep. I think the most important detail that we're, we haven't mentioned is how you opened this segment. <laughs> ice, ice baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Vanilla so- Ice himself was live tweeting the whole thing from inside the airplane. <laughs> that was, you sent me that. I was like, what? So, because, yeah, there was a lot of other people. Obviously, it was on the ground. They had, like, network. But he was there. I, he was, I think, on the upper deck, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. So he was probably class, right? in business yeah. class, right? But uh, yeah, it is. so that probably also augmented the number of people getting the story. So now the big one is if and ever we learn that the cause of all this is actually vanilla ice cream at Emirates, then, you know, that will be awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, another event that happened just also yesterday for the first time in its history japan had to, um, i think it's the first time japan had two airports that were closed at the same time for two different uh, catastrophes events uh there was kix kansai which we covered uh, a while ago with which was completely flooded due to the typhoon called jb if i'm not mistaken yes. the images were absolutely insane <laughs> yeah they, they were i mean the whole i was talking to my wife about this this morning the whole Runway, taxi uh, area, the, basically the entire ramp was underwater. It's crazy, yeah. And and they, they and like underwater, like not not like it was a bit wet. It was flooded, as you see. This, the pictures were spectacular, 
And then, because Japan, they said, flights resume tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. That's crazy. <laughs> How? How? They're the only country they, the, in the world. The one reason that it was flooded, obviously, is that it's a man-made island. So, of course, the clearance off the water is not that high. So, clearly, if there is a flooding, it gets hit pretty quickly. I'm wondering, though, it wasn't not long, the flooding, and it didn't last for days, because like you just said, it's just Rupert, but I'm wondering if there's any effect of, you know, planes parked there. A lot of them had gone, but there was a few parked there, and having water, I guess it will have to get some checks or something, I'm not sure. But Yeah, I think there was maybe five or six ANA and Peach planes there. Yeah. But I, again, I don't, I don't know... One would assume that they would have moved them if they thought they would be damaged. They were on the inside bit of the airport, so yeah. as far away from any kind of coast that you could get. And when you saw the pictures, they, they did appear to be dry, but did they get bashed around in the rain and the wind? The wind was insane. It was incredible. To the point that a, a boat, a big boat, is not a tanker, but it's got a very big boat uh, hit the bridge which is the bridge that, that links that man-made island to the mainland and uh, hit the bridge pretty hard because you can see that one of the lanes is actually completely destroyed. Yeah. It's uh, well, I mean, Japan cannot get a break because that's the second airport that was closed just a few hours later. There was an earthquake in um, Hokkaido. Hokkaido, yeah. It's a Nuchitose airport, which you'll probably I'm will, going uh, to, yeah, in two yeah, months. you'll discover soon. It's a nice, there's, a, there's an onsen in the airport, man. Uh, of course there is. <laughs> we'll talk about it when you get there. I'll give you some tips before you get there because it's a fun airport. There was sadly some uh, people passing from the typhoon. I don't think from the earthquake. No, and there, unfortunately, there have been some deaths in the earthquake. Uh, well, uh, that's the sad news from Japan. But like you say, the always impressive thing about Japan is like it seems like 24 hours later, everything they'll bounce like, back. <laughs> it's <laughs> extraordinary. I don't know how they do it, but I admire them infinitely for that. It's mm. just a Fantastic. A few people, I mean, more than a few people, as I said in the beginning, have sent us like a lot of tweets and messages. I'm not going to cover everything. We had uh, Doug S. Shocker. I hope I pronounced your Twitter handle correctly. Hey guys, great podcast. I discovered you a few months back and I'm listening from both ends. So he listens to new shows when they come. And when he doesn't have that, he goes back listening from our first episode. Wow. <laughs> He actually answered stuff from very old episodes. I'm going to very quickly mention it. He said that in episode 17, I don't even remember episode 17, we talked about Memphis. There is a, a business launch by Delta, which is a holdover from where they took over from Northwest. So, if guys, if you actually are flying through Memphis, there is a launch. I remember saying that. I wasn't sure. Or maybe you said that. Honolulu, so that's much more recent. That's episode 77. He says he's a military pilot. Oh, wow. We do not have actually a restriction on special mugs to use for drinks. We just have a regulation that states no open drinks will be passed across the console. That there makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, actually. And he, he sent me a piece of news that is old that a spillage had happened in commercial flights as well. I think that dates back from 2011. So it has happened that there was been a spillage at first uh, rerouting of a flight uh, <laughs> as well. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, it's one of those things where you probably had to make the mistake before everyone's like, yeah, we shouldn't yeah. pass 
these containers across the console that's really important. Yes. Bryson uh, Kotakam, again, hoping that I pronounce all your names correctly, at MTN underscore D3W underscore addict with a one instead of the I. He sent us, first of all, the best ever, you know, picture in picture thing that we've been asking our listeners to do because he was uh, fueling a plane at Honolulu Airport and he has his phone laying on the fuel pipe that is fueling what is probably, uh, I don't know, maybe a 737? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's actually very, very cool. Bryson, that's, we really appreciate That's probably the best picture we ever gotten about someone listening to our show. And thank you for actually doing that kind of work. You are making sure that we can actually fly. I think it's a Hawaiian aircraft in the background it's it's blurry but i'm pretty sure i recognize the, the tail yeah and he, he adds that we're not wrong there are no good food option at honolulu it's airport funny, isn't it there's such opportunity there but what i found in the u.s is that the airport experience at least in terms of the fnb and retail it's all the same in all the airports. yeah sameness it's always the same outlets i mean we had a discussion we won't have we won't cover that today, but it happens in a lot of airports when you have the Starbucks, the, the, the same brands over and over and over again, which is why also sometimes we do like airports in Asia because you see at least stuff that you're not used to. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and not to mention, obviously, you know, uh, an airport like, I don't know, Haneda, when you have this entire fake village of Edo village, when you'll have sushis and stuff that you wish other airports would do a more effort to basically push their own cuisine, maybe, for instance, we would talk about food. Though uh, Paris, I was at uh, Charles de Gaulle. Why? I, I did both Charles de Gaulle and, and Frankfurt lately, again, though <laughs> I keep criticizing them. They have like stuff like, I think, Fauchon, which is a, also a French, uh, kind of higher-end type of French food. So they, they are a good option, but it's true that it seems sometimes that you always see the same stuff over and over and over again. Yeah, it's it's frustrating and it feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah. He says, though, Bryson adds that there are great food trucks just outside for the employees. Well, there you <laughs> go. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder, can you get to them as a passenger? Yeah, Bryson, that's, what that's I exactly what we want to know. <laughs> Jeremy Roberts at judge underscore smells 99. Uh, he says he's a U.S. travel agent, an aviation geek, and he love, uh, capitalizes the love, uh, our show. He has pre-check and clear, and he says it's absolutely worth it because with both, you can bypass the TSA line and you can get through security in less than five minutes most of the time. So it's super effective. LA Flyer, uh, also very uh, long-time listener, says that the benefits of clear is that once you're processed, you're escorted in front of the TSA pre-check line. Uh. See, so you actually are bypassing a lot of the pre-check as well. Is it worth 180 quid or 179 quid a year? I guess it really depends how much you're, you're flying, which is what Alex Ostreicher um, at yeah. Value Deck says. He says, uh, you would never use clear because, you know, TSA pre was 80 bucks for five years. And for that, you know, you reach almost like what, 900 for five years with, uh, with clear. So I guess, again, it really depends. If you fly all the time, maybe it's worth it. If you don't, well, it's clearly not. Yeah. And what's up, oh, striker? How are you? Uh, <laughs> that's, I think, absolutely right. And I, I've seen it's getting to the point where, and we saw this in San Jose when we, we flew back that you have like four different queues or five different queues. Wow. You've got clear, 
you've got TSA pre, regular people, and staff, and maybe priority. Yeah, priority and then staff. So you're kind of like, but actually, you just reminded me of of another interesting thing that happened. Because BA now have TSA pre, I had it on my boarding pass for going through San Jose, as did my entire family. So we were all, even the kids, were able to go through the TSA pre-line. That's cool. It, it, I can't even tell you how much of a difference it made. Not having to take the iPads out and the kids take their shoes off and me trying to hold the baby while I'm taking my shoes and my belt off and getting my laptop out and the liquids out. So much easier. So much easier. Yeah, I should definitely actually think about doing that. Your brother actually had the best comment about all this uh, pre-thing. He says, I'm so British that the clear escort service, is that really the name of escort service? Because it's really not a very (laughs) (laughs) Makes me very uncomfortable. I'd much rather have my own queue than be perceived as a queue jumper. Yeah, that's very British. Yeah, that is very British. (laughs) A few other uh, reviews and comments. Uh, Again, LA Flyer, uh, got to say one of my pleasures is listening to Layovers podcast while out traveling the world. True mix of my travel, reality, and your experiences. Good night from Malaysia. Thank you so much. That's that's really cool. cool. iTunes, uh, five stars. Love it. From uh, Robbie Gitonga, I guess, from Kenya. I said, look, we need to to do more African stories because he actually says that. He says, glad to have stumbled upon this podcast. Really enjoyed the discussions as an AV geek from Nairobi, Kenya. Looking forward to hearing more African aviation news, however. Yeah, we do need to focus on that. We know, we know. Where we, uh, it's really a, a territory we don't go often to. So, but we, we will, we will probably actually have to invite. Maybe, maybe you, Robbie, could actually be our guest and talk about you know your flying experiences in in Africa. Because I think we, we will need to build a lot of experience, Alex and myself, before we get to a point where we can actually judge that continent in terms of aviation. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Another five star from P Joe one two three four in the UK. What a find for an aviation nut like me. Lots of great content from experienced travel experts. Thank you. I don't know for if we are experts, but thank you so much. Enthusiasts is probably yeah, a bit more. Yeah. Ah, I love that. Again, at Value Deck, he actually sent us also a shot from his phone above the wing. And I seem to be recognizing a 767 window, but I'm not sure. No, it must be. No, it cannot be because it's, it's a Southwest. He says, not a great shot, but I enjoyed your show while taxiing at Southwest this evening. No, so it's not a 767. If it's Southwest, it's a 737 for sure. Taylor Moore, uh, <laughs> I think that's for you, Alex, uh, sent us this morning a shot of his Apple Watch in front of the Alaska magazine beyond. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> and uh, and we have uh, Pimp My Diver. Pimp My Diver, that's Ben. Ben, who's a Mastication Nation uh, listener and a Layovers listener as well. Oh, well, well there you go. Uh, thank you for providing me context, Alex. He, he sent us a picture of his seven-year-old son, Sam, listening to Layovers just before departing to Lisbon. Oh, uh, hey, so, Sam. See, how's it going? Yeah, hi, Sam. Sorry for the language. I was about exactly (laughs) to say the same thing. And uh, I kept the best for last. Craig, our favorite brewer. It's not an airplane, but does a brew house count? And he sent us a picture of his phone playing our Seattle episode in front of his brewery. Of actually what seems to be like the concoction before becoming a beer. So thank you so much. That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Actually, I love that. (laughs) 
And yeah, one more because I really loved it. It's related to Seattle, or represent Seattle. Uh, bipolar Beer at uh, Glebaz <laughs> replied something really awesome. He says, I just hope Microsoft doesn't acquire SeaTac Link Rail and rebrand it at Skype for Trains. I love that joke. Skype for trains. Yes, yeah, true. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Alex, we have to be careful when we talk about the trend because now we have Oliver Walker Jones, who is the head of communications from Rolls Royce, is actually listening to us. Uh-oh. That's what I, I well, think. Well, <laughs> it's a pleasure and an honor to have you listening. Yes. So forgive us if sometimes we're making bad jokes about a Trent 1000. Look, Alex flew it twice to go to the US and back. I flew it to go to Australia and back, and it held very, very well. So see, it, it actually is a great engine. Yeah. And to link to our my flight, we had uh, Alex, because that's uh, that hits home for us. We had Peter Evans at Evans PW. To be honest, I find it much more interesting when you guys talk about your experiences flying economy coach or pleb. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a fair. Uh, yeah, it's fair, a fair, fair criticism. Uh, it, it, to be to be honest, it's a bit hard sometimes for us. When I say hard, no, it's not. It's actually the opposite of hard. Of course, uh, flying in the front of the cabin. But when you have clients providing you with a budget to fly in front of the cabin, we're most likely not going to force ourselves being in the back of the cabin. It's a catch-22. I fully agree that our experiences are are very not as relatable. I know that some of our listeners love listening about what is in front of the cabin, but it's true that we should uh, sometimes pay more attention to that. So, so Peter, I'm not going to promise that we're going to only fly economy from now on. But uh, we will pay attention to that because we don't want to be, I feel like, uh, privileged pricks in front well, of the cabin. I, I, all I the have time. a few economy long haul flights coming up, um, yep. so I will I let know. you know. Is it only, only BA? No, no, no. Uh, none of them are on BA. Oh, wow. There's Air Canada. And then... Um, oh, wait, you're flying Air Canada? I'm flying Air Canada to Vancouver on Sunday in economy. So I will. I, I have absolutely no idea what to expect. I've never flown on Air Canada. So wow, that's really cool. Out of T2 and Heathrow. And then I'm flying to Chicago on American in economy. Yeah, no, yeah um, I remember, yeah. So I'll report back. I, I, I have some interesting travels coming up um, on the back of those other trips. So we'll save those for future episodes. Though. Yeah, yes, yes, you, 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 you do have. Uh, so as I said in the beginning of the episode, I'm only going to talk about my Etihad experience from now, not the, the rest, because the SAS bit was also very interesting and Stockholm Arlanda as well, but I keep that for other episodes. So yeah, uh, Etihad, it's the first ME3 ad I haven't flown. I've flown them in 2009. It was a 777, uh, 300ER. I think I've flown from Manila to Doha back then. And then I think a 320, I think I flew to Europe or something. And it was, you know, my first taste of ME3 and I liked it. I've flown not a lot with them since then. I had flown, you remember when I told you guys I flew to Kazakhstan, from Manchester, and I did actually the first class, and also a triple. Was it a triple? Yeah, I think it was a triple seven. So this time uh, I found this great deal. I had a budget again from a client to go to do something in uh, Melbourne, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go in economy because the budget is quite low. I mean, low, but relatively, but it's expensive to go to Australia. So I was looking at a Cathay at Singapore. I was looking at Emirates, obviously. I mean, I was looking at all the different, uh, and then I found this deal leaving from Stockholm with Etihad that was below my budget, just below my the budget I was assigned to. So it was really a very good deal and I would be able to fly in business class. I said, you know what the hell with it? Of course I'm gonna go to, yeah. to reposition myself to Arlanda. So I flew first 
330, and uh, it's the same seats as you find on Iberia, for instance, the 340. They are staggered seats, you know, it's, so it's one, two, one, but it's a bit like most of the people do. You have one seat, which is a true window, and the other seat that is a fake window because you have the console between you and the window. Very nice flight. What I really enjoyed on that specific flight is, uh, besides the food that was quite good, is the the amenity tickets. You have very cool amenity tickets on, on Etihad. They have, uh, I didn't mention last time when I was talking about France, that France gives you like these very colorful amenity tickets. The, the, you know, the, the box is really super fun. With Air France, you can even choose a color. So I was not able oh, cool. to choose the color at Etihad, but because I've done all these legs, they have multiple colors and they're very, you know, you know, you see how the, the tail Alex is of Etihad, right? With these, uh, Strange mosaic. Yeah, I love it. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So that's exactly the design of the the amenity kits. It's really really nice, and they have a partnership with Lux. You know that these little travel guides. Oh leaflets. yeah, yeah. So in each of these, you receive a different Lux. Uh, so the one when I was going to Abu Dhabi was the one about Abu Dhabi. It is that's I find it a pretty cool gesture actually, yeah, I, and it's. I do uh, too. It's it's very hip. The contents were done by a company called uh, Scaramouche and Fandango. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's really 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 nice. It's uh, so you, you can see there's a lot of attention to details. And because we always compare Etihad, obviously, with Emirates, when we talk, and most people do, you know, the entire color of the cabin is more subdued. I prefer it to be frank over Emirates. You know, because Emirates they have these. Too much gold sometimes, you know, and uh, fake wood. Also, these amenity tickets felt more modern overall, so more fun. Although, and it's a bit almost sad, I've learned, thanks to the pursuer in the flight, that they are going to switch to a more uh, traditional, it's called, you know, Aqua di Parma, I don't know if you guys know it, which is more upscale type of less uh, hip let's less fun and they're gonna they're gonna introduce those on 380s and triple sevens from now on especially so if you fly to london etc you'll get those and he adds i'm on the flight from frankfurt to abu dhabi and he adds you would have the accordi parma if you were flying to sydney and i found it interesting that he knew that i was flying to melbourne and was able in the conversation without anything in front of him being able to simply converse and then even talked about Melbourne with me. I found that a very, yeah, it's a very good quality of uh, training to being able to to discuss with, with me that. So I will say the experience with that flight out of 10, it was a nine. It's really, really, wow. really solid. I didn't eat too much because I was, you know, the second flight from Abu Dhabi to Melbourne is about 15 hours. So I was like, I don't want to overeat in the first flight because then what else? What I'm going to do in the second? I'm going to sleep a little and I'm going to eat. So I'm like, uh, so I, I paced myself, but really, really, really good. Great crew, great product to the point that, you know, I'm a bit uh, sad that Etihad seems to be falling like that because we keep saying that, the, you know, they lost money, they're reducing the yeah. fleets, et cetera, et cetera, because it's really, really a great product. The one thing very interesting is that I didn't realize is that they seem to be very well integrated with Star Alliance to the point that some people think that they might actually join the Alliance at some point. That's a strong rumor because in Frankfurt, they are in the same terminal as Lufthansa, not as most of the other airlines in the other terminal, which is the non-Lufthansa terminal. That's interesting. That is interesting. Which also 
led me to the experience of the dread of Frankfurt. Will I have to go past security? And I sent you the, the picture from that dreaded tunnel that leads from BA to Z, right? <laughs> yeah. But for some reason, that's, that's where, again, we don't understand that layout. This time, no security. So I was like, why? I don't know. I just, honestly, I don't know why there's a security or no security. It doesn't, it's not consistent with, <laughs> I didn't have to enter Schengen like last time, for instance. So, uh, well, it, it actually makes sense. Yeah, it's frustrating, the, the whole uh, inconsistency, I suppose it is. Uh, I was able, uh, that's another point about this uh, closeness with uh, Lufthansa, which is funny because when Lufthansa talks about the ME3, they, they keep like criticizing the ME3, but they seem to be very close to Etihad, is that you are actually using the Lufthansa lounges as well. So I was able to use a senator lounge from Lufthansa whilst waiting for my flight with uh, Etihad. So it's interesting to, to see that closeness, which I had no idea about before actually flying them. Then I land to Abu Dhabi, AUH, and that's the, a bit the issue of Abu Dhabi is, like I mentioned earlier, that I flew there uh, my first time in 2009, and it hasn't changed, really. Um, you know, they, they keep pushing back the opening of that new terminal, the midfield terminal, they call it, which is this grandiose massive 80 million passenger thing which sits in the middle of the airport you can see it because it's it's it looks really magnificent now they promise it's going to be open by the end of next year because really Abu Dhabi is compared to all the other airports in the region seems cramped seems not a airport for hub and spoke model at all <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the lounge it's it's perfectly fine the business lounge but it's again the exact same lounge i was in in 2009. I'm not saying that lounges should be upgraded every five months. I'm just saying that it seems that the delay of this midfield terminal has made also suffered uh, a bit the product. It's more than okay, but it feels like you're an airport from the 90s, not from 2018 overall, right? You Have you ever been? Yes, I have once. A long time ago? Yeah, I, 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 I can't even remember what it was like. <laughs> that's my, that's the problem. <laughs> they start to blend into each other. Yeah, because there's nothing actually spectacular about it. The only spectacular thing which I always loved about that airport is the tower. The tower has been designed. It's like it sits pretty far from the terminal where you're in. Mm. And it, it feels like it, it's been designed like in the shape of a sail to reflect the, the story of Abu Dhabi of uh, seafaring. And it's, to me, the most beautiful tower that I've ever seen. Uh, and the fact that it's a bit remote from the terminal, and you know, with this that haziness that the sand creates when it's very hot as well in this region, makes it feel almost like a ghostly presence a bit in the background. Uh, I'll send you a picture, Alex. It's absolutely fantastic. And I've learned through LA Flyer, again, on Twitter, that the new Istanbul Tower could also be a very beautiful one because it's supposed to represent a tulip. If you guys look it up online, there's like drawings and design of that new Istanbul tower and it looks pretty cool. But really, for me, that tower from uh, Abu Dhabi is a redeem quality of that airport. I cannot wait for the new terminal to, to open. Yeah, the renderings are all spectacular. The tower is spectacular. It's just that it took such forever. And also, since I'm, I'm there... So they have a new CEO for the airport. They have had a new CEO for Etihad for a little bit now, I think, as well. Etihad has basically said that they are abandoning the Hope and Spoke model, becoming more of a destination model, which is going to Abu Dhabi. But then I understand the, the predicament, because why would you have an 80 million passenger terminal 
right in the middle of a destination city. I mean, I love Abu Dhabi. I actually realized this time that I love it more than I thought because it's not a city I know as well as Dubai. But you don't have 80 million people going to Abu Dhabi, right? I'm, no. I, I'm not sure about the future of Etihad as a whole if it's not the hub and spoke model, because I'm sure there are, you know, Abu Dhabi, for those who don't know, is the richest of the cities in the Emirates. So they're richer than, than Dubai. They're, the power is there, if you want, the, the governmental power is also sits there because they have access to most of the oil money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But is that a destination that requires an entire fleet of hundreds of aircraft? Well, yeah, exactly. So I don't, to be frank, I don't know. Anyway, so let's cut my trip in two. I'm going to go to the one to Melbourne in a bit. But since I'm in Abu Dhabi, I'm going to leave you now going back to the US. I want to hear about your experience, if uh, that experience of a charter flight, what happened? Why did you get it? Why did you make me jealous? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That Well, that was the the real reason I did it, uh, <laughs> was, to, was to make you jealous. So I got a message from a friend of mine who works at JetBlue who I've known for years. We were at Virgin America together. And he said, hey, have you ever flown on JetSuite X? And I was like, no, I haven't. I didn't even know what they were. Yeah, I was like, what is JetSuite X? Uh, and the only reason why I knew JetSuite was because I'd seen them advertised on the JetBlue IFE. And it turns out they've got some kind of a strategic relationship with them. But JetSuite is a private jet company, just your regular private jet charter company. Okay. Uh, it's been around for, for 10 years. It was founded by Alex Wilcox, who was one of the JetBlue founding executives. And interestingly, one of the other board members and investors is Tony Shea, who is the founder of oh, Zappos. Zappos, yeah. And sitting on the board is also David Nealman, who is the founder of JetBlue and the CEO of Azul and Moxie or whatever they're going to end up calling it in the end. And also a minority stakeholder is Qatar Airways, as oh. of this year. So wow. they they have, I think they're one of the biggest, if not the biggest, private jet charter company in the US. Okay. Um, so they've done this sensibly. But they've introduced this product called JetSuite X, which is what I tried. And it's short-haul public charter flight. So it's not okay. a private jet. It's a fleet of Embraer 135s. And the inside of the airplane is, you know, reasonably good seat pitch, but there's got to be 30 plus seats on there at least. So it's like an airline, you have assigned seating, there's Wi-Fi, there's free alcohol and snacks and stuff. It's like a, a JetBlue experience in, okay. in, in economy. It was fine. They only operate on the West Coast. I'm skimming over a lot of these details because... This isn't what separates it and makes it, to me, one of the best ideas I've experienced in aviation in a long time. See, guys, Alex has been corrupted. Yeah, I have been because... <laughs> well, so they fly Burbank, Oakland, Vegas, Santa Ana, which is John Wayne Airport, one of the, one of the main LA airports, Mammoth Lakes in Yosemite, which is that's a seasonal one, and Concord, which is in the East Bay, uh, okay. in the East Bay Bay Area, which is where I flew out of. So the in-flight service is great. It's efficient. It took off on time. Friendly people, quiet. Um, everybody's a business traveler. Here's what makes it so great. They don't operate out of the airport terminals at those places. Okay. Concord doesn't even have an airport terminal. They have their own private terminal 
at the airport away from like it's it's completely on the other side of the airport from the main terminal at Burbank, which is where I flew into. You don't go through security. You're supposed to arrive 20 minutes before departure. People were arriving at the departure time, and we still got out on time. Wow. At Concord, and in the terminal, there's comfy seats and coffee and snacks. And then you yeah. you board, you walk out 15 feet to the airplane, you get on board, and you go. That's but unbeatable. It's The price of the ticket was comparable to a you know within 30-day booking on Southwest. Do they provide you with a large network if you were to Not live yet. there? Okay. Just just on the West Coast. So if you were doing the, the, the Bay Area to Southern California hop, I don't know why you would fly on, on anybody else. That airport experience alone makes it work. I mean, the flight is no more than an hour. So yeah, it's short, the, yeah. the fact they give you a, a, you know, a good cup of coffee and a snack and Wi-Fi, that's all you need. And you know, if you're coming back, they give you a beer and a, or a glass of wine and some peanuts or whatever. At Burbank, their hangar was also roped off as part of the terminal as well. So the plane yep. pulls right up. Like it's like when it taxis in, you're standing there in the hangar, which is cool in of itself. There's a ping pong table and a foosball <laughs> table and again, coffee. And there's a, there's a room where if you want a little bit of peace and quiet, but seeing the plane taxi right up, everybody gets off, the baggage comes off, you get on and you go. Ah. They've got relationships with Uber and Lyft and uh, rental car companies. So you can just, so I, I just flew to Burbank and back. I just wanted to experience what the offering was. So I flew into Burbank, got off the plane, got an Uber, went to downtown Burbank, had a nice breakfast, came back and flew home to Oakland, where Uh they use signature flight support, which is one of the FBOs there. So again, no faffing at the airport, no faffing with baggage claim. They just take it off the airplane and hand it to you if you've got a checked bag. This is such a flipping great idea. Do they not have some type of competition on these? Uh, no. I'm not saying as good or maybe as price is good because I keep hearing from friends who live either in LA and or San Francisco and commute between the two with planes that now they've all opted for, and I forgot the name of this other... Probably Surf Air or something like Surf that. Surf Air. Yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah. So, is it so, similar? So, no, it- no, it's not because you pay per flight with JetSuite X and Surf Air is the subscription model. Subscription model, yeah. And I, interestingly, I was, because this was sort of a research trip, I I, <laughs> I, I I chatted with a lot of people. I mean, that's exactly what it was. I chatted with a lot of people on the ground and in, in the plane saying, you know, do you do this often? Why do you use this? Have you thought about Surf Air? And... The people flying out of Concord were like, I live in the East Bay. This is a no-brainer for me. I only got up 45 minutes ago, and here I am about to get on the plane. Those people in the air at Burbank talked about the same situation. They said it's way easier than having to schlep across LA, the greater LA area, to try and get to LAX if I want to fly on somebody good, or I take Southwest out of who are also good, but perhaps these they're not quite the same demographic. Um, Absolutely. You know, people said, I fly a lot, but Surf Air doesn't fly to the airports I need in the Bay Area or to Southern California. So I thought that was interesting. And they said, you know, if I'm on vacation for six weeks, I don't want to drop two and a half thousand dollars for flights I'm never going to take. So yeah, this makes way more sense. I was so impressed by it. And I, I really hope that they are able to scale this. And still keep this experience of of the private terminal, of the feeling. Uh, 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 I, I just loved it. I was so impressed. We said many times that these types exist uh, within Texas as well, exist, uh, I think, on the East Coast. 
between New York and maybe DC. And a lot of it is LA, San Francisco, or Auckland, or... I've yet to see, uh, maybe I'm completely wrong because I do not live in the US and maybe some of our listeners will actually counter what I'm just about to say. I'm yet to see like a larger scale operation when you could have that type of experience, whether it's Jet Suite X is the name you said, uh, yeah. or, or a surfer if you'd rather, if people rather have a subscription that actually scales to way more destinations. And of course, not even to mention having the same in Europe or... <laughs> yeah, we don't have- I don't think there are many places where this would work as well yeah. as the Bay Area, where you have either airports like Oakland and Burbank, which are big enough to, to accommodate it, but also have private jet or executive terminals or somewhere like Concord, which is the same deal, where you've got two massive metropolitan hubs that you're trying to link or are already highly trafficked. Yeah, they're highly trafficked and you have people that also are ready to pay. Both are like metropolises that have a high income. You're right, the right conditions are, are met there. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I've been thinking about where else this would work. You know, would it work in the UK? I don't know. I don't think, I mean, you'd have to go all the way out to Biggin Hill. It could work out of London City, but there's just no physical real estate there. Yeah. Exactly. And where would you, where would you go? Would you go to Paris? What airport are you going so to the, go to? So I think the only attempts were done were basically the banker routes. So Zurich, maybe Geneva, maybe Luxembourg. I mean, you know, the routes that they know people are already paying, doing often and would probably appreciate a different experience. But like you say, the problem is in London, if we're talking about London, that there's no room to have that experience at Lucy. Uh, Biggin Hill is fine. There's room, but Biggin Hill is a bit out of the way. If you work in Canary Wharf in the city, is it worth it for you to go to Biggin Hill when you have London City next door? I'm not sure. Exactly. So, I mean... I think they've tapped into a very lucrative market. They, they've been sensible and they've built an extremely successful business for the last 10 years on other areas. They clearly know their demographic because they've got those seasonal flights from LA to Mammoth for skiing. And then they do extra capacity for Sundance, for CES. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Others. Yeah. They've done their homework. They- I was impressed. Okay, so JetSuite X, next time I'm on the West Coast, you have to reach out to me because, of course, you're listening to this podcast and that's why you invited Alex because we were just saying, no, no I'm kidding. Yeah. But I would, I'm really interested if I get the, once the chance to, to try this. I was always thinking about trying Surf Air. I think because if you're subscribed, you can from time to time give a discount to someone else to try, you know, like it's a, like an onboarding technique, like a, growth hacking technique yeah. to get more so uh, but that, I would I would definitely try even if even if I had to pay not being invited if I had to pay I would definitely want to try just to to witness that experience because it's very rare yeah it's very rare I, I was impressed I can't wait to, to do it again so since you mentioned JetBlue just one bit before I go back to Australia there <laughs> JetBlue has been hinting for a long long time that they were planning to come to Europe it's basically confirmed because the the new chief operating officer Joanna Geratti she's actually she's actually the, the highest woman ranking in any US airline, which is great as well. She basically said, there's no timeline, but yes, we're coming for Europe, which translates probably into London first. 
They should be using Airbus 220s, so the Bombardier, the ex-Bombardier C-Series, and 321 LR. They are coming. I really hope they bring that mint product because that will be a great addition for us. Yeah, it will. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that product, yeah. as you know. So quickly, JetBlue, please. Please. <laughs> I'm sure they listen to us. I'm sure Joanna listens to us as yeah. well. <laughs> she has all the time. Uh, so I'm in the lounge in Abu Dhabi, as I told you guys. I Just one thing. Uh, there was this uh, crew that was looking for passengers because the flight was more than the final call. It was, I think, closing. The guests are in front of me. The passenger is supposed to go to that flight. And um, she says, you need to run. The guy answers, nobody will run whilst finishing their coffee and stays there. And I'm like, oh, my God, the sense <laughs> of entitlement. <laughs> anyway, so now I'm going to mix both my flights going to Melbourne and coming back from Melbourne uh, to Abu Dhabi because they were both on the same aircraft, the 789, the Dreamliner-9. Honestly, probably, to me, if not the best, at least top three best business product I've ever seen. It's a fantastic product, which makes me even more regret that kind of, you know, Etihad going backwards and being a smaller airline, because that experience I've rarely seen. The seats first are, again, one-to-one. But because they wanted to give more space for the seats, they do this like every second one is reverse, which right. some people don't like. Well, I did both. I did one on a reverse seat, if you want. So looking backwards, these ones have these fake windows, as I call them, as in they're closer to the ale. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're actually numbered C. And the one that front are, of course, A, and you are next to the window. Honestly, both cases, absolutely amazing. There's one thing, they have a lamp. If you just Google it up, it's called the Etihad Studio. They have a lamp on the side, which again uses that same motif, that same mosaic type of thing that you see on the tail of Etihad. And that gives like a a halo of a yellowish light, so not something bright. And my God, this gives all the character to the seat because it gives that impression you are, they call it studio, but like in a very, in a small living room, if you want. It's, it's wow. really, and, and that shows, by the way, that that touch, I'm not sure these lamps, you know, are the most expensive things ever because, you know, there's IFEs and other stuff that cost, but it really shows that a little touch like that can change your vision and your experience of a seat. I was remembered when I was seated there that, you know, so many airlines, I mentioned Delta, it doesn't have to be only American, have a great seat. And when you press then, I want to have some lights. It's the the ceiling light that is super freaking bright. Yeah. And almost, and you're like, that destroys the entire thing, especially if it's nighttime. I just want a small, this thing changes for me the impression that you have in the seat. Really, really absolutely fantastic it also has a little nifty things is that when you are on a full life flat mode and you press the button to go back to let's say lounge mode it will start automatically even if it's completely dark it will just get on just oh so slightly to give you a sense of where you are so you're not completely in the dark so little touches like that are really really well thought out and that's why i say it's for me top three top two best seats the food was absolutely best. It, it's the best steak I've ever eaten in a flight, full point. Wow. Remember, I said the That's, opposite. Because they're about not Kela. easy to do, are they? No. It, and it was not 
like at the very beginning of the flight. So they had made a lot of effort to maintain it in a very, I don't know how, for later, because it really worked super well. It, it's a great, great business class. A few surprising things. You know, usually when you we have reverse seating, not for all, but most of the airlines now, they have three-point seat belts. Mm-hmm. Well, no, this is only a, which was, I mean, it's fine. I'm not going to, you know, but I, I was, I was expecting because, you know, you are, you're back against, you know, you're basically leaning forward if you want when you're taking off that there will be a, a three point seat belt, but there's none. For the rest, yeah, the, the windows, because we always talk about windows when we fly Dreamliners, they were dimmed partially when we were on the ground at Abu Dhabi. So taking off to Melbourne. And I understood why is because it was so hot in its middle of the summer. So it's like 50 degrees Celsius, guys. <laughs> it feels like, I don't know, it feels like you're melting or something. So they did simply that to maintain, of course, an adequate temperature within the aircraft. But my first assumption is because Alex, you know, we always talk about that. It's like, oh my God, they, they blocked them. No, no, it's not true because as soon as we're taxiing, they let us do whatever we want oh, with the windows. That's so that was good. smart. You know, that was like, okay, now we know it's hot on the ground, so we don't want people to open them and then do whatever you want. As we said once, it seems that they need some kind of booting up time because at the beginning they're slower than later in the flight. It definitely <laughs> feels like that. If anybody knows why that's the case, I'd love to know. Yeah. No air vents. Again, Boeing doesn't seem to be putting air vents, and I don't like that. But I mean, the temperature was fully adequate. The IFE was great. There's one quirk on the IFE that you can like movie. You have a little, you know, like like on a Facebook like. And I looked at movies, and, and I'm guessing people were liking movies in all the seats, and they were aggregating the number of likes. I don't know what it actually signals and if it's actually useful, <laughs> but it's interesting that I could do it at all, I think. Yeah. And you can share, I didn't try it, you can share videos between seats. I'm not totally sure how that works and what's the purpose of it, but it was offered that I could share something I was seeing to another seat. Maybe if you want to see the same thing as somebody else, I don't know. Interesting that they would actually think about that at all. Yeah, I, I always sometimes wonder what goes through the minds of these seat yeah, designers. Yeah. I think uh, like Singapore Airlines and their suite is... Uh, what were you thinking? <laughs> like, <laughs> So in case you ever fly this, the seats in the middle are also pretty cool. By the way, there was a I don't know because I'm not Australian. There must have been some Aussie celebrity sitting next to me in the first flight because all the crew and people were like, oh, you're like mumbling. And I was like, I was looking at her, you know, because of the reverse situation. She was at the beginning, she was looking basically at me. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but everyone's felt super excited. And I'm like, I mean, I wanted to go on Wi-Fi, which is the next thing. I went on Wi-Fi, works great. The only problem with Wi-Fi with Etihad, it doesn't have like a human scale. I think the maximum amount is like 200 megabytes or something, and you pay like 20 bucks. And you're like, how is really that going to last? So they have yeah. a pretty nifty thing that tells you how much you have remaining. But basically, it forced me to, because 15 hours, I went a little bit you know, download some emails, then I went and I paused it every time, you know. And then, of course, that was not enough for 15 hours. I wish that an airline like that would just tell me, okay, here's even 50 bucks. Here's 50 bucks and that covers you for the entire flight. Give me like a human scale. This will last you two hours. But these megabytes thing, I just don't understand. I know that if you, any one of our listeners has been flying Etihad, that they actually have increased the price of Wi-Fi, again, maybe because of the financial woes, and it used to be better, but, you know, compare when you have Emirates, it's free in business class. 
you're like, ah, it's not great. Yeah. The seat was amazing, super comfortable. I'm tall and it was appropriate for me. The mattress was especially cool. They come and they put you a mattress, really nice mattress, really nice also duvet. Honestly, all these little touches there makes it a freaking fantastic seat. Of course, it's a very new seat. Everything is like uh, touch controls and they actually are super reactive. You can even dim and undim your windows with the touch control. You don't have to reach for the window itself. Wow. And it works. It's super well synced as well. So it's really, really, really fantastic. I've had a message because I was, of course, talking about this on Instagram from uh, listener Mark Buckley at Don't Be Bold that says, and caveat here, that, that the business is absolutely one of the best, but their economy isn't great. I've never actually flown economy in Etihad. So caveat here, guys, if you ever fly economy. I keep hearing that out of the three, the Emirates economy still is the best. I've done Qatar economy, I've done Emirates economy, but I've never done Etihad economy. So I arrive in Australia. I'll get to the airport in a few seconds after we have a few more news. But uh, I just wanted to mention Dan Tan Dan yeah. and uh, Kaedwa, C-A-E-D-W-A. I think his name is Chris Edwards, if I'm not uh, mistaken. And uh, both have been super cool. Like, give me all these tips, talking about the airports, etc., all throughout and welcoming me when I was landing in, in, in Melbourne. So these are two of the, our listeners. There's been others who have been really cool with me. So I wanted to give them a shout out. Uh, the other bit that I wanted to mention is when I went back to Abu Dhabi, I saw something, the tone of voice, and that's the only thing that I would actually maybe uh, give them a, a slight criticism, the tone of voice of the crew, of course, is very good. I mean, again, I'm telling you top three business class, but it's just so, so slightly off. I think Emirates does a great job to be very friendly and knowing you know, how friendly they can be. And of course, the cafes and others, they have this ability. It seemed to me that them had a little bit sometimes of like, can we allow ourselves to be more friendly? Yeah. I don't know if it's per policy. They need a little bit of more work in their tone of voice to be perfect. But it, I mean, again, it's a slightly, but I, after having flown, it was my third flight with them. I was like, mm, yeah, you need just to let go also slightly and you'd be actually awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is that tendency to equate formality with luxury. Absolutely. And I don't think that that necessarily is always the case. So very briefly, I stayed in Abu Dhabi for like not even like 15 hours. I went to see the Louvre. Guys, you have to see that. It's absolutely fantastic uh, museum, the Louvre in Abu Dhabi. But that's not the point of the show. The point is to say that I've actually experienced the arrivals for the first time in Abu Dhabi because the other times I went to Abu Dhabi, actually I drove from uh, Dubai and the departure. Man, you know what? Everything is e-gates and I don't have to register. Whereas in Dubai, they tell you, you need to register your passport to go to e-gates and the thing is never open. So you end up having to queue. There you go. You scan your passport and you're in. You go in the same on the way out. You put your passport and you're out. That's it. How wonderful is that? Exactly. And that's how it's supposed to be. And the demeanor, that's also something that I will say, the demeanor of the immigration people that are locals, because by law, I'm sure they cannot be foreigners, is absolutely amazing. In Dubai, I find it off and on. Sometimes I'm like, do you really want to work here or are you forced to do it? There, it was absolutely great. So I loved it. It was super fast as well. I was one of the first out, obviously. I had for once, because, you know, 15 hours, I said, whatever. I had put my luggage in the hold. I arrive at the bell. 30 seconds later, my luggage arrives. I'm like, it's really, really, really efficient. It might be an old terminal, 
but it's actually very, very efficient. The chauffeur service, now it's basically limited to Abu Dhabi. They don't have it like they used to, like all over the world, like Emirates still does. It's the best I ever had as well. Wow. Better than, you know, you remember we had sometimes like also on and off experiences about the chauffeur drive within, in Dubai. When, you know, drivers yeah, like you basically begging for tips and trying to pull some other bits and, you know, sob stories on you. Yeah, it can be quite mixed. Whereas Etihad, both times, really good. To the point, I think they're not outsourced. It must be actually employees of Etihad, which you know, at Emirates, I'm not sure how that works, actually. Um and then I had bid. I was going to Paris from Abu Dhabi because I had a meeting for work in Paris. I had bid to get myself in first class. I said, you know what? Everything else is paid by the client. Let's try to put a little bit of money to see if I can actually finally experience the apartment. Not the residence, guys. The apartment. The residence is that three-room thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, off the charts expensive. And I won. So I was able to go on the 380 in the apartment. First, it allowed me to go to their first class lounge at the terminal. And that is awesome. Probably they have realized that they won't have opened this new terminal. So they actually put some money and they reopened the first class lounge last year. And it's a great lounge in uh, Abu Dhabi. It's really a la carte. You have two restaurants. It's not, you know, the big thing that we have at, at Dubai, you know, super huge, but it's really well done. You have quiet areas, business areas, TV areas. As soon as you're seated, first of all, someone basically walked me through the lounge. And then as soon as I was seated, somebody came and took an order. What do you want to drink, sir? We're like, of course, different kinds of champagnes and different kinds of wine. I mean, really, again, I know it's first class, but really, really good. You know what? I, I was, I don't know if it ever happened to you. The experience of the lounge was so good that, man, I almost missed my flight. Really? <laughs> yes. You know, I'm having another cup of champagne, and I look at my watch, and I say, but isn't my flight like in 20 minutes? And I'm like, oh, my God. And I start running in the airport, <laughs> which is cramped. And I, it was fine. I made the flight. But I was like, how? If I hadn't... I was, I was basically, my mind was asleep because that's was like, an immersive so cool. experience, isn't it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I didn't do the spa because that would have been even more immersive because there's a spa in the lounge. But anyway, I'm in the queue. I'm giving my, my boarding pass to so two people in front of me get upgraded in first class. And my mind goes like, why did I bid? I could have been maybe upgraded by for free. <laughs> Of course not, because probably they've been like, you know, you know, frequent flyers and I'm not with Etihad. Uh, the apartment, I was on a reverse seat. The advantage of the reverse Etihad apartment, so the one looking backwards, is that your seat is actually super close to the window. These things, are, I've sent you pictures, Alex. Remember, these things are maybe like, what, three meters yeah, large? Huge. Like, yeah, huge. And so you have a bench. And on the other side, you have the actual seat. The bench transforms into a bed whenever you want to sleep. But that means that those seats closer to the ale have two meters to the window. It's really, really far. And once you're taking off or landing, which is where it's very interesting to look outside, you cannot really look outside, no matter the cameras it provide you with. So, man, that experience probably, again... I, you know, I keep saying that in terms of the full experience that Ed Parsons has finally tried it, I think uh, Emirates first class remains, you say that as well, this, that seat is awesome, yeah. right? But that seat by Etihad is also awesome. The fact that you have a seat and a bed, that these two are separate, is pretty cool. The screen, at first I was like, okay, so the screen is front of my seat, 
and when I'll be sleeping, how will I be able to watch anything if I want to? But no, they actually, when they do your bed, they actually tilt the screen completely in front of you. So you have this massive screen looking. No, it's... So how does it... Because they have... There's the residence, which is which is crazy. Then there's the apartment, and then there's the first suite. No, no, no. That's the thing. The apartment is the first suite. That's the name of the first suite, is apartments. So these are the ones with the door. These are only available on the 380 because of the size of the aircraft. The first that you experience on 330s and on 777s is closer to what you have on Emirates. This, because of the size of the aircraft, they allow themselves with these like three meters massive things. So it's one one, that's it. Mm -hmm. And you know, with the showers, the big, big bathroom lavatories are on Emirates in the very front. That's where part of that residence is. So it's not fully livable. That's where their bed is. So they have one suite. They have another suite, which is their bed. And they have a third bit, which is their own bathroom. Mm, wow. Yeah, exactly. And then you have the suites that you call suites that also, for instance, Singapore would call suites or uh, Emirates would call suites. They call them apartments because they are slightly bigger with both a bed and a seat. You can order stuff by touchscreen as well if you want. If you don't want to call someone and say, I want that, you can just press a button. Right. Now, honestly, clearly, one thing what I wanted to do is try to shower because I said, you know, I've done it on, on Emirates. I need to compare. So the lavatory is clearly not as big, but the shower feels itself, the shower, because you've been to the one in Emirates, Alex, the shower itself feels bigger the room you have for your feet it, maybe because it's square i don't know it feels bigger it was it was it's always very cool stupid yeah. but very cool to do a shower in flight and for the food man you would have loved it it was also again another steak you know they said how do you want your steak i said can i have medium rare yeah of course and how first, the hell did they do that <laughs> i don't know but they did a medium and it was a fantastic one man <laughs> it was oh my god and the um they also, something that I wish more airlines would do, I know BA does, they ask me whether I want sparkling water or still water because it's all these airlines that give me like a, I'm a sparkling water guy for some reason. Yeah, me too. They give me that, that, that glass of still water and I need to, hey, sorry, can, can I just switch that for, yeah, they, they told me what I want and yeah, I don't know. It's just, of course it's first class guys, I know, but it's better than, is it better than Lufthansa? Probably, yes. Is it better than Emirates? It's on par. There you go. Wow. That's yeah, quite a... Yeah. I, I got to find a way to experience it. Yeah, especially they have great deals now, probably because of all the financial woes. You can find super cool deals, especially leaving from Arlenda, from Stockholm. You have amazing deals, guys. They're still running. Take a look. Last bit. The one thing that I was a bit underwhelmed with is having seen... The super cool amenity tickets that I mentioned earlier with the, the mosaics and the colors and the luxe inside, that one was just black. I mean, maybe because I'm I'm someone who likes a bit stuff with colors and a bit more hip and different and a bit more flashy. Not flashy, but like luxe, you know, like it's irreverent. Yeah. That felt way more, maybe because that's how they see first class, way more formal. Yeah. You know, I'd rather have had something with lots of colors and bit more irreverent because that's what and I'll finish it with that that's what I like about Etihad over Emirates is because they were a fast follower they had for me the old color tone is better the they all always try to be slightly also slightly different from Emirates and that irreverence is maybe too much of a term because it's still a Middle Eastern carrier but they were a little bit more hip 
than Emirates, which was quite formal. I mean, the crew is fun, but the hard product can be very formal. And I think they're losing that bit a bit by doing these kind of things. But I mean, again, one of the best first class I've ever done and top two business class at studio. So absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, the, the, just looking at the uh, the pictures that you sent and the pictures online of both of those cabins, it just, it looks phenomenal. I, I definitely have to try to trying to rack my brain to see if there's any trips I have coming up that I can, <laughs> but I, I don't think I do. I'm sure I'll find an excuse one day. <laughs> As you can feel, uh, we had actually a little bit of a hiccup during uh, this recording, so that shortens slightly our uh, recording time. And also, I have a hard stop because of a call with a client, so I won't be able to go through the news that I wanted about Qantas and Australia, which were about the longest flights and what they're going to do with them. We're going to cover those in the next uh, episode, if you don't mind, the Project Sunrise, which is, you know, how far and how long will they ever fly from Sydney? That will be uh, fa absolutely fascinating to talk about. And I think that requires more than 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, you are, since uh, you are flying to Japan in November, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. right. Uh, have you seen that story? by our good friend, Tokyo reporter, my good friend, Brett, that uh, <laughs> upon landing at Narita, police had to arrest a 24-year-old American because he urinated on a fellow passenger during a flight uh, from to you. <laughs> Jesus. It's, there's something <laughs> wrong with that person. He says... Since I was drunk, I do not recall the incident, and he denies it. Denies it. There's someone took a video of it. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? I mean, sometimes, man. So uh, we mentioned, I think, 20 episodes ago, maybe even more. You remember, because it's the age of these massive airports. You have these new Istanbul ones. You have the potential new midfield one at Abu Dhabi that I mentioned. And you remember the one at Mexico, supposed to look like an X, which is a reference, of course, of the X of the name Mexico, uh, done by um, Norman Forster. Yes. Yeah. They started building it. The construction started in 2016, maybe. So it's been it's more than two years or two years that it's been going on. But the new president just thinks it's too expensive. And although, again, they already put all that money and it's going to put the fate of the airport on referendum and maybe stop simply doing it. Uh, I mean, I get it, but at the same time, they started they started it. Yeah, it seems it seems slightly uh, futile to do that. So they're going to do that in October. I mean, look at the pictures, if you don't remember, guys. Uh, Mexico, new Mexico airport. It's absolutely stunning. There were supposed to be like six runways and I think uh, 70 or 80 million passengers. Really fantastic. So, I mean, I, I, I get it because I'm not in favor of overspending and et cetera. No, but no, no. when I see those... These beautiful airports, I, I want them because we want to simply visit them once they're done. We are really looking forward to them. Yeah. And also uh, yesterday, uh, I think the 5th of September marks the 12 years since they did the groundbreaking at Berlin. It's extraordinary. <laughs> and That's it's still completely not extraordinary. What a train wreck. Yeah, exactly. So in Australia, Sydney has just, by the way, uh, and we'll talk about that in a further episode when either Alex or me, I don't know who's going to ever fly there for the first time, uh, we'll talk about it. They've also are doing a major innovation. But Melbourne, Melbourne is, is a bit of the lesser. I was warned, I think, by Dan, Daniel Tan, Dan Tan Dan on Twitter, that uh, Melbourne is, is 
the lesser airport. And it feels like it. I believe it's the airport I landed at 25 years ago. Really? I didn't go to, didn't go to Sydney uh, because, you know, uh, first of all, I was poor and I was a student back then 25 years ago. Uh, I went to Sydney, but I took the bus, which is a 13 hours ride to actually go from Melbourne to Sydney. There was no low-cost travels back no. then, man. <laughs> the airport feels... A bit old. It's uh, the international terminal. There's many terminals. Others, obviously, one is Qantas and the others are domestic. But, I mean, it's okay. The, you land there and the ceiling is a bit like Manchester. It feels sometimes very low, especially for someone tall. You're tall as well. The layout is also very strange. There's a lot of, you know, pre immigration duty freeze uh, as well okay. and, there's, and when you've never done it and again 24 years ago i couldn't remember it there are machines a bit everywhere and people queuing in front of machines and i'm like am i supposed to do something with those machines and press on a button and then i look and it's not only for uh, for australian citizens i'm like i keep walking and then there's another queue but that's only for five passports the american british of course australian uh, new zealand and a missing one canada maybe a special line which is fast track and it allows you to use e-gates all the others, and I was one or the other, we have to use uh, people, basically. And that was, I mean, that was fine. It was 5 a.m. It was a bit long. I did the mistake of going to the fast track one, which I had access to because the fast track one, I didn't realize was also for crew and the crew were fast track within the fast track. So basically I could see that people that were in a normal line were going faster and I was in a fast track, kept being overtaken and I get it by crew. But I mean, it's it's okay. And then the one thing that is missing from Melbourne, there's no rail link to go to the city. Yeah. Uh, and they are saying they're going to open it maybe by 2022. They're spending like, I don't know, billions and billions on it. They're creating new trains as well because central Melbourne is amazing for trains. You have trains, you have trams that are basically that are free. Man, they're free in the center. Yeah, that's that's. I love that. I remember discovering that when I was researching the uh, the attaché book, and I was I, I like had to triple and quadruple check it to make sure that it was in fact the case. It's it's fantastic. It's really because it allows you. I didn't spend anything, and the and it's a very big network of trams as well. It goes pretty much everywhere. Not the airport, obviously. <laughs> they also have, I think, a metro. I didn't use it, and so they they are planning to upgrade this. But from the airport, there's none. So your best bet is to use, of course, a cab or Uber. And I say Uber because. You know, there are so many cities or countries or airports that are making it hard for Uber to operate. This is the exact opposite. You arrive there and you have these massive signs by five meters by two telling you, welcome to Melbourne. Here's Uber if you want it. And everything is so well organized. And I, I'm not favoring Uber over, you know, any other sharing, ride sharing app. I'm just saying that this is how it should be. Yeah, it makes <laughs> yeah. such a difference. It did. It did. And I used Uber. It was great on both ends. On the way back, so when I was boarding to go back to Abu Dhabi, that's, I think, the most interesting part is that they are clearly being refurbishing both security and immigration. They are currently doing it. Security is okay. They have this bit narrow x-ray tray. So basically, you cannot start to remove the stuff before you arrive there, which kind of clogs it up a bit. But the great, great thing in, in like Abu Dhabi, I put my passport on the thing, the gate opens, and that was, that was it. So efficient. So Yeah, so civilized. 
And again, this is, was probably because, you know, I entered, okay, I had to deal with someone when I entered. Once they have me on the system, they just want to make sure that I've left and that's it. They don't need to actually talk to me. And that was really fast, really efficient doors, e-gates of absolutely fantastic. Then it's a very strange layout. You keep walking a single corridor. At first, there's, of course, a duty-free, like they all do now. They kind of force you to go through duty-free. A few nice shops. Then you keep walking to a nondescript corridor. And you have the first gates. I'm like, what? It's very strange. It's basically because it's small. So you have, it's a single corridor where you walk. And at some point, it becomes a Y and you have two corridors. But it's not really enthralling as an experience, to be honest with you. But the lounges, because they are on the upper floor and the gates that are near the end, gates 10, 9, 8, I think, these have all the views. So you're sitting there, even if you don't have access to a lounge, and you see on one side landings, uh, because there's two runways. The landings are clearly on one runway. On the other side, you can see the takeoffs. You can see all the planes being parked on the apron. That is absolutely cool. And on the upper, where I was, there was the Etihad lounge next to obviously the Emirates lounge and thank god Etihad has actually for me the best one because Etihad has through uh, the direction they're looking at we have not only the aprons but there are all the landings and the second part of the takeoff so we just see when the plane is taking off whereas Emirates basically only sees parked planes so haha right right here you go go. one of the best lounges I've been to again not huge because they don't require to but very airy great foods there's a bar again using that mosaic you can see that they've been refurbishing uh, or reopening it I don't know very recently because it's really well done you have someone serving you if you want or not they leave you alone or not it's very well done it's a business there's no like first such such a thing as a first lounge but the best part again simply Alex you love that too the views the views the views the views is absolutely uh, great it's really funny though I was seeing you know because I like taking pictures of plane taking off and and I was like hey there's a 380 at the very end of the runway it's about to take off so I put my camera and I'm like okay recording after two minutes, it's not moving. What's going on? Okay, well, maybe a live ATC or something. And I said, God, I cannot find the right channel. Five minutes, not moving. I'm like, this plane is not moving, actually. That's weird. And then I actually learned that because Emirates, because there's a lack of room to park, you know, because the thing is huge, the A380. And if it was to, to stay at a gate, we actually take too much space. So they park uh... between runs. They park it at the end of the runway. <laughs> <laughs> they have a thing like you know like they have on, on old runways when you can turn turn around for yeah. planes they have that and they just park it there that's funny so you always can see uh, it's the runway I think uh, 1634 you can always see this uh, because I think it the plane lands at 6am and leaves at 9pm so in right. between they just leave it there so there you go <laughs> <laughs> hey you know you gotta do what works right <laughs> exactly um, yeah, so absolutely great airport for that. Is it an uh, airport for layovers? Uh, you know, you are more or less, what, 20, 25 minutes from the center. I didn't experience traffic. I don't know. Maybe people will tell me there's sometimes more traffic, but Melbourne has so much to offer. Mm-hmm. It's you, Alex, have to do an episode there just because of the food. 
I don't think I've ever seen as many food courts in my life as I've seen in Melbourne. I don't think I've ever seen as many coffee places because it's a huge coffee culture as I've seen in Melbourne. It's absolutely fantastic. There's a huge Greek community. So I went for some Greek food, obviously, but also Chinatown. There's also a lot of Asian choices because a lot of Asian communities live there as well. It's Man, it's uh, I could relocate to Melbourne tomorrow. Wow, that's that's quite a, uh, a statement. It's just that it's too far. I know that Australian will tell you you guys are too far. Yeah, <laughs> but it's uh, you know when you have your community and friends in Europe or in the US, it's it's really far out. But man, the feeling of the city. You know, usually I'm the guy who prefers the large city, so I prefer uh, Tokyo over Osaka, or prefer LA over clearly San Francisco, which is not even a city, or New York will be my favorite city. You know, I, I always like the big cities, or uh, London over Manchester, I don't know. But there, I remember for 25 years ago, I preferred Melbourne over Sydney. I haven't been back to Sydney, but I, you know, I land and I'm like, will I feel the same? Or is it just me playing on my memories when yeah. I was, you know, I was 17, man. Of course, everything is cool when you're 17. You, you know? <laughs> and, uh, Man, yeah, it kept that way. It's awesome. It's 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 such an awesome city. And Dan told me that actually the difference between Melbourne and Sydney, I didn't know, is only five hundred thousand people. So it actually, is not much of a difference. Yeah, that's in yeah, terms pretty of, inconsequential yeah. in the big scheme of things. You'd love it. The food, man. The food. The food. Yeah, we definitely have to do an Australia episode. I think we're gonna try and figure out a way to do that. Well, with the Etihad deal, man. <laughs> yeah, I gotta look at that. I think that's a good idea. They have really fantastic deals still running. Uh, Qatar has some, but uh, look at, guys, by the way, look at if you are in Europe, if you do ex-Europe flights. SkyTeam does, of course, a lot of cool deals these days, but uh, Arlanda, Stockholm, seems to have all the great deals these days. Yeah, I, of course, um, we've talked about ITA Matrix. has scuppered our ability to find those deals as yeah. easily as we could, but yeah. oh, well. Yeah, oh, well, exactly. So, yeah, so great experience. I was very happy to go back. We'll talk a little bit more about Australia. Because, like as I said, we had some Australian news we wanted to share, but no time in this episode. I didn't visit the Qantas terminal. Apparently, our friend Johnny, the designer, uh, has mentioned that they've completely upgraded their lounges there. They look great. But yeah. honestly, flying... Qantas is still very expensive. Yeah. I, I wish I want to fly them and I will fly them eventually. But uh, this is not because I didn't want to fly Qantas because I really wanted to do that Perth thing. It's just that it's very expensive still. Yeah. Because you know what? Because now I, I, I've learned they have one dining, signature dining concept in each of their lounges. So in Brisbane, it's Mexican. And in Perth, that's a pizza thing. They oh, have that's actual- the pizza thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. I don't know what Melbourne is, guys, because it just opened. So, guys, tell me what Melbourne is. Uh, if it's pizza, that's a reason for me to fly uh, to fly. In yes. <laughs> so, you're flying a lot, no? Yes. Yeah. I'm busy, busy several months coming up for the rest of the year, really. It's just going to be nonstop. But you know what? I, I quietly like that. Yeah, I know. What, what are the, let's say, the next two to three ones? You mentioned, I think you mentioned Vancouver, yep, which is Vancouver, Sunday. Vancouver and then Chicago the following weekend. Christian Sand in Norway. Which I'm looking forward to. I've never been Christian there. Christian in Norway. Wait, yeah. Where, where? Yeah, it's um, it's it's southern Norway. So I'm I'm okay, speaking okay. at a travel conference there. So looking forward to that. Okay. Um, I've only been to Bergen. Did we cover Bergen? I've, yeah, we'll cover that. Bergen's one. Bergen's great yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and then Vegas, and then Hong Kong, and Ishigaki, and Japan. Oh, that's the holidays. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and yeah. Japan. Yeah. So <laughs> looking looking forward to it. 
Yeah, well, I'm glad because I've been doing the brunt of the long haul flights up to now. And now the next month for me will be Europe. I'm doing, I don't know, Berlin, Amsterdam, Paris multiple times, uh, Madrid. Again, my good old Madrid. I'm going back actually uh, also for travel work travel related and so i'm glad that uh, we can pass the tour like this yeah i've done a long of long haul now it's your turn for a little bit you guys you will hear alex talk more in the episodes and less about me which is probably a good thing it's a good balance i think we strike between who's <laughs> traveling where yes yeah and i have one i'm not going to spell it out uh, one actually that i'm very much looking for that will be a quite a long haul one that will be another new airport so lots of new airports to cover yeah. i already have an idea which one will be the next one the only thing is like as you've understood when will we be able to record is completely up in the air uh, so we're not promising you anything but i'm sure we'll find a way to record once yeah absolutely and on that safe travel safe travels guys <laughs>